I want to say good morning. I want to welcome all of those who are watching online, those who will be watching by television, those at our other campuses. We're one church in three locations, and if you don't attend one of our campuses, I hope you'll go online and find out the one closest to you and check out and see what God is doing in our church. I want to tell you a story about a man named Peter Singe. You probably have never heard of him. He's a systems analyst, and he's the senior lecturer at the MIT Sloan School of Management. And he primarily writes and lectures on what-if scenarios, how a what-if scenario can radically transform your life. For example, what if you had married someone else, or what if you had gone to a different school, or what if you had chosen a different vocation? How would your life be different? And so he, he, he writes these, these books and these articles about how a what-if scenario can transform your life, and he co-authored a book called Presence. And in that book, he shares a fascinating story. It's one of the most fascinating stories I've ever read in my life. He was leading a, a seminar at the World Bank when an employee named Fred revealed that he had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. He had been given only a few months to live. And so Fred told him after this meeting was over, he said, you know, he said, I'm going to start living like I know I'm dying. I'm going to start living as if I've only got a very few months to live. And he said, I'm going to start living as if there's not going to be many more tomorrows. Well, like most of us, what you do normally when you're given a diagnosis like this, first you go through a period of denial. You know, that's kind of the first stage. Really, this is not me. I've been diagnosed. It, it really can't be real. I, I don't feel that badly. He went through a period of denial. And then Fred said, something amazing happened. He said, I stopped doing everything that wasn't essential. I just stopped doing everything that really wouldn't matter when I was gone. I, I just stopped doing those things. And he said what happened was what was important to me became even more important to me. And those things that really were unimportant to me became even more important to me. Now, this is where the story gets really amazing. A few months had passed, and, and a friend of his noticed that he really wasn't getting that much worse. And he said, Fred... I think you need to go get a second opinion. So he did go get a second opinion, and, and, and the doctor came in, and he said, I, I've got some great news. And he said, what is it? And he said, well, Fred, you've been diagnosed. He said, now, you do have a very rare disease, but it's very, very curable, and you're going to live a long time. When the doctor told him the news, he broke down and started crying like a baby. And the doctor said, Fred, I'm so happy, and I'm so glad you're happy. He says, oh, I'm not happy at all. He said, why? He said, because I'm afraid that my life will go back to the way it used to be. Now, I want you to imagine, what if you started today living as if there weren't going to be very many more tomorrows what if you went to the doctor this past Friday and the doctor said I've got some bad news for you you may have a month you may have two you may have three you may have even a year but you don't have very much longer to live if you were to begin living today like you didn't have many tomorrows how would your life look like what 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 if you began saying no to all the things that were really unimportant what if you really began to focus like a laser beam and focus your energy on the things that really mattered in your life? How would your life look different? You see, Fred made an amazing discovery. And that is when you begin to live like you're dying, 
you just can't live the way you used to. You, you just can't live an ordinary life. Your focus gets laser sharp on what truly is important. And here's what happened to Fred. Real simple. Fred, without even realizing it, started to live a bucket list life. Now, whether you know it or not, whether you thought about it or not, we all have a bucket list of things that we want to do before we kick the bucket. We all have them. You may not have them written down. You may not have really kind of sat down and gave a lot of serious thought to it. But I guarantee you, you know, we've all said something like this. Before I die, I would like to, I'd like to go to a site that I've never seen. Uh, I, I'd like to do something I've never done. I, I'd like to, to, to buy something that I've, I've never had. I mean, there's all kinds of choices you can make as to what goes into your bucket list. As a matter of fact, this is kind of amazing to me. You can go, there's a website you can go to called bucketlist.org, all right? So if, you're, if it's a rainy day and a Monday getting you down and you're thinking about dying, go to bucketlist.org, okay? Listen to this. If you don't know what to do before you die, there's a list of 5,666,684 different things you can choose to do before you die. They've got this big list. Well, today we're beginning a series that we're calling The Bucket List. Because the truth of the matter is, sooner or later, we're all going to kick the bucket. And there is a difference between the things that you want to do before you die. We've all got things we want to do. We've all got things we'd like to do. But there's a difference between doing things that you want to do before you die and doing things that you must do before you die to make sure that you're ready to die. And what we're going to do in this series is we're going to give you a list. It's a very short list. It's a very simple list, but I absolutely am convinced these are the things that ought to be on everybody's bucket list. Whatever else you want to do before you die, I'm going to give you in this series seven things you should do before you die if you're going to die right. Now, let me just tell you, this is not my list. It's not something I got off the Internet. It's not something I got off a website. I didn't get it from a survey. I didn't come up with these ideas willy-nilly. I got these ideas straight from Jesus. Because whether you realize it or not, Jesus had a bucket list. On the last day of his life, when he knew he was going to die, he gave some last words. He said some last things. And they revealed his bucket list. Now, I, I've never really been, maybe you have, I've never been with anyone just before they passed away. I've, I've been there right after they passed away. I, I've never been with anyone that just, just before they passed away. But I have been told that the last words of, of anyone are often of great importance. As a matter of fact, if the family's gathered around and, and you know someone is about to die, you will hear a pin drop because they, they don't want to miss any final parting word. And, and so we've got the last words ever recorded not of just an ordinary human being. We've got the last words recorded of the greatest human being who has ever lived on planet Earth. And in the final six hours of his life, from nine in the morning until three in the afternoon, in the final six hours of his life, Jesus made seven statements that have been recorded for history and posterity. And I believe they represent seven things that he either did or he caused to happen that we ought to do before we die. Now, the timing of what he said is really very significant. If you, as we study these, you're going to find that the first three things that he said, he said during daylight. 
And the last four things he said was in total darkness. The first three things he said had to do with his relationship to others. And the last four things he said had to do with his relationship with his heavenly father. And I just want to submit this to you. There ought to be seven things that you have on your bucket list. And before you die, you better make sure that you've done the right things horizontally with other people. And then you better make sure that you've got everything squared away vertically with God. So we're going to look at the very first thing that you ought to put on your bucket list. And the very first thing that you ought to put on your bucket list is this. You ought to make sure before you die that you're dying with a clean slate. You want to die with an absolutely clean slate. Now, to find out what that means, if you bought a copy of God's Word or you want to look in your iPad or smartphone, whatever you have, I want you to turn to a gospel called Luke. There are four gospels. They are at the beginning of the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23, and we're going to look at the very first thing that Jesus is saying as he's being crucified, as he's hanging on the cross. He knows the clock is ticking. He knows his time is short. He's not going to get off that cross alive. He knows he's going to leave planet Earth, and this is the very first thing that comes out of his mouth. Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now think about this. While the world was doing its worst to Jesus, Jesus is doing his best for the world. While they are crucifying him, he is not condemning them. He's actually asking God to forgive them. Now, I'm talking to a lot of people here right now, and I know where you're sitting. You're sitting in a seat of anger. You're sitting in a seat of bitterness. Because you've already kind of got this figured out. You've already said to yourself, I know where this is going. And I know what you're about to ask me to do. Because you're not right with somebody who wronged you. You're still bitter over the spouse that walked out on you. You're still angry with the person that cost you your job. You, you're, you, you're bitter towards someone who's blasted you. You've never forgiven someone who has failed you. And in one simple statement, Jesus says, you better make sure your slate is clean. You better make sure that your slate is clean before you die. You better make sure that horizontally you're right with everybody on this planet. And there are three things we must do in our relationship with others to make sure that we not only live right, but we die right. Because I want, you're going to see this in a moment. Don't think this was an easy thing for Jesus to say, because I'm, I'm sure that it was not. And I, I know some of you are sitting there, and, and I know what you're already going to say. You're going to say, you're about to ask me to do something, and you don't know how hard it's going to be for me to do what you're going to ask me to do. Hey, it's worse than that. You won't do what I'm going to ask you to do unless you do these three things. But if you want to die right, you better do these Three things. Listen to what we say. Number one, stay focused on God. Stay focused on God. Now think about what's going on here at the cross. You think you've been run, done wrong? You think you think you got the short end of the stick? The greatest injustice that has ever been done in history. So unjust. It's so unjust that no other injustice can compare to this one. Here's what's going on. <clears throat> the perfect holy son of God is being crucified for the crimes and sins of others. Now, you would expect at that moment 
that his eyes would be fixed like lasers on the crowd down there, the ones that spat on him, the one that beat him, the one that mocked him, the one that made fun of him, the one that nailed him to the cross, and he's dying in agony. As a matter of fact, even now, they're gambling for his clothes. But his focus is not on them. It's on the Father. Listen again to the very first words out of his mouth. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. See, let me give you a little clue. Every time somebody hurts you, every time somebody pulls the rug out from under you, every time somebody takes a shot at you, every time somebody crushes your heart, you know what the devil wants you to do? He wants you to focus on them. He wants you to put your eyes on them. He wants you to just, he wants you just to be obsessed with what they've done to you and how they have hurt you. Jesus doesn't take the bait. He keeps his focus on his father. I mean, here's a crowd. They had no sympathy for him, but he had sympathy for them. Matter of fact, did you know this is the only time? I bet you didn't know this. Did you know this is the only time that Jesus ever asked his father to forgive other people? You go back and you look at the ministry of Jesus. Every time somebody needed to be forgiven, what did Jesus do? He forgave them. Every time somebody did wrong and they needed to be restored and they needed to be forgiven, Jesus forgave them. But on this occasion, he asked the Father to forgive them. Now, why did he do that? Well, here's why. We know that only God can finally forgive sins. As a matter of fact, there was one time when Jesus told a man his sins were forgiven, and the Pharisees got upset, and they said, Ha, only God can forgive sins. Well, they were right. That's true. In the end, only God can forgive sins. Well, you say, well, Jesus Christ was God. Yes, he was. But on the cross, he was not dying as God because God can't die. He was dying as one of us. He was dying as a human being, just like you and me. And so he still wanted the only one who could forgive to forgive those who were hurting him. As a matter of fact, when Jesus said that, it was so amazing that Jesus said it. Word got out about what Jesus said. And when the disciple Peter looked back on this event, these, this is what he said as he remembered what happened. Listen to this. He said, when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, now watch what he did. He said he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The reason why Jesus could say, Father, forgive them, because he entrusted himself to God. Now, let me just stop. Because I know there's some of you right now, you are, you're even ticked that I'm talking about this. Okay, and I'm going to get to this in a minute. I, trust me, I know where you are. You, you're sitting there and you're saying, you, you're not sitting in my chair. Your feet are not in my shoes. You don't know how I've been hurt. I don't. You're right. I don't know that. But here's what I do know. You're not going to like this statement, but you can't deny it. If you can trust God with your heart, you can trust God with your hurts. Can I get an amen to that? If you can trust God with your heart, you can trust God with your hurts. If you can trust the God who loves you, you can trust God with anybody who hates you. If you can trust the God who cares for you, you can trust God with others who have hurt you. Listen carefully, listen. 
Hurts and heartaches should never become walls that separate you from God. They should become bridges that bring you closer to God. And so the next time somebody hurts you, just remember this. What the devil wants you to do is he wants you to stew in your self-pity. He wants you to feel sorry for yourself. He wants you to get bitter. He wants you to focus like a laser beam. I can't believe what you did to me. I can't believe how you've hurt me. I can't believe how you pulled the rug out from under me. I can't believe what you've done to me. That's what the devil wants you to do. God says, listen, when others turn their back on you, you turn your eyes toward me. You stay focused on God. Number two, you stay full of forgiveness. You stay full of forgiveness. Now, Jesus is focused on the Father. Notice what he says, okay? Father, forgive them. Let's say that out loud. Father, forgive them. Now, now let's just be honest, okay? We're all just being honest. I'm going to be honest with you today, okay? I want you to imagine someone just just pressed a crown of sharp thorns on your head, stripped you naked, brutally punched and whipped you and beat you senseless, drove nails into your hands and feet, lifted you up on a cross, spit on you, mocked you, made fun of you, and then gambled on your clothes, not for what you've done, but because of what they've done. Now, can I just, let's be honest, would you honestly be praying that kind of a prayer? I mean, let's just be honest, would you honestly do that? And before you kind of get holy with me and say, well, yeah, I think I would. <laughs> Let me just ask you a question. When somebody pulls in front of you on the freeway, do you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? No, you know what you say? You say, buddy, I know exactly what you did, and you sit out on your horn. Because remember, Jesus could have called 12 legions of battle-ready angels. Remember that? They were at DEFCON 1. They were ready to rescue him. Every angel in heaven was looking at God and saying, just give us the word. We'll go down there. We'll take care of that crowd. We'll take care of that mob. We'll get him off of the cross. And I'll be honest, if I'd been Jesus, you know what I would have been saying? Angels, charge! But Jesus says, Father, forgive them. By the way, let me tell you something I didn't know before. Never saw this. In the Greek language, verbs are very important. This verb is in the present tense. In the Greek language, present tense denotes continuous action. In other words, here's what you to understand. He didn't just say this one time. When those soldiers spit in his face, he said, Father, forgive them. When they beat him and mocked him, he said, Father, forgive them. When they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. As people walked by that bleeding, naked body, making fun of him, jeering him, and cursing him, he said, Father, forgive them. Now, folks, let's be honest. If anybody in history ever, ever had a right not to forgive, it was Jesus. Anybody ever right to say, I'm not forgiving you? It was Jesus. He is the ultimate innocent victim. He never wronged anybody. He never said a wrong word, never thought a wrong thought, never did a wrong deed. He had a 100% record of keeping the law of God. Here's the only person who ever died who needed no forgiveness. And he's forgiving people who have no right to be forgiven. Because understand what I'm saying. Did they ask for forgiveness? No. 
Had they repented of what they'd done? No. Did they deserve to be forgiven? No. But both in this event and in this statement, I want to teach you one of the greatest truths about God and about sin and about his love and about our sin you will ever learn. You ready for this? God meets guilt with grace. God always meets guilt with grace. By the way, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, do you, do you know who he was talking to when he said that? You say, well, well, yeah, he was talking to the Pharisees because they condemned him. and He was talking to the Roman soldiers who crucified him. And, 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 and he was talking to the mob that was making fun of him. Oh, that's not who the them was. That's not all the them was. It was them. But you remember, it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. It wasn't the Roman soldiers that nailed Jesus to the cross. It wasn't the Pharisees that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was your sin. It was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And it wasn't just the disciples that turned their back on him. Because every time we disobey Jesus, we turn our back on him. And listen, so when he said, Father, forgive them, there's a little word we ought to put in that place of that word, them. We ought to say, Father, forgive us. So let me ask you a question. Who is it you know <laughs> you'd rather die than forgive them? You, you'd just rather just go on and leave planet Earth than, forg than, than, than to forgive them. Or, or here's one. Who do you know? And they're not worthy of your forgiveness. They don't deserve your forgiveness. But here's what these words teach us. We can forgive those who don't deserve it. Now, whether you're willing to or not, that's a different issue. We can forgive those who don't deserve it. Because remember this, you say, now, wait a minute. Now, how do you know I can forgive people who don't deserve it? How do you know I'm capable of doing that? And tell me why I ought to do that. I'll make it real easy. The reason we ought to forgive others who don't deserve it is because Jesus forgave us when we didn't deserve it. So get that straight. I'm not asking you to do something you can't do. You may not be willing. You can do it. Those three words, Father, forgive them, are some of the most powerful words anybody can ever say in their life. And let me tell you why. If you want to die with a clean slate, and I want to tell you something right now. I want to die with a clean slate. I, I'm just I'm, I'm telling you, I don't, you may, it may not be a big deal to you. It's a big deal to me. I want to die with my slate totally clean. I want to die without knowing I've got to stand before God and really have to answer for anything. You say, man, that's the way I want to die. Well, if you want to die that way, you've got to die. You've got to stay focused on God. <coughs> you've got to stay full of forgiveness. And then you've got to stay free of bitterness. You've got to stay free of bitterness. You know what I found that's amazing? This absolutely blew my mind when I read this. You ready for this? I, I can't, and I know I could be this way too. I'm not trying to be holy or anything like that. So many people not only carry grudges, but most people who carry a grudge feel like they have a right to carry a grudge. I mean, there's some of you here right now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, I have a right to feel the way I feel. I've got a right to be angry. I've got a right to be bitter. I've got a right to be unforgiving. I've got a right to have the feelings that I have in my heart. There was a study that was done in the Journal of Adult Development. Listen to this. It found that 75% of people believe 
they've been forgiven by God for what they've done in the past, okay? 75% of people believe that God has forgiven them for all the things they've ever done wrong, but only 52% say they've forgiven others. And only 43% say they've ever sought forgiveness for what they've done to somebody else. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I know God's forgiven me, but I'm not forgiven others who've hurt me. And you know, I've hurt others, and I'm not even bothered to go ask them to forgive me either. Now, I don't want to make light of what some of you are going through. I, I really don't. Because I'm hearing some things being said right now in this room, and I'm not a mind reader. I just know people. I, I know it. But you don't know how much he hurt me. You, you don't know what that person has done to me. You don't know how that person totally destroyed my life. You, you, you don't know the agony and the hell I live in every day because of what that person did to me. You, you, you just don't know. You know what? You're exactly right. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret. People that hurt you don't know how badly they hurt you because you're the one that got hurt. I'm just, I, you're right. I've been hurt. I was mentally going through my mind today. Listen, if you don't think pastors get hurt, you don't understand the ministry. You, you don't get it. You don't understand the people that judge you wrongly. People think you, you know, it, it's, it's kind of amazing, really. And I knew it. Well, I mean, I'm not griping. I'm not complaining. It, you know, you live in a glass house when you're in the ministry. It comes with the territory. But I, I got to thinking today about, you know, and, and I've journaled some of these things. I, I, you know, I've got me anonymous letters. You don't think pastors get anonymous letters? By the way, do you think I ever get an encouraging anonymous letter? Dwight L. Moody one time got an anonymous letter in the mail. And it had one word written on it, fool. That's all it had, just the word fool. He got up the next morning, looked at his people, and he said, I got the weirdest letter today or last week. He said, somebody wrote it and forgot to sign it. Now, that happens. That happens. I mean, we, 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 get, we get hurt. And you say, but you don't know how they hurt me. I know I don't. And I know they don't. Because guess what? Jesus said the same thing. He said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Now let me tell you this. Ignorance is not innocent. I get that. Ignorance is no excuse with a policeman. It's no excuse with God. But what did Jesus mean when he said that? They don't know what they're doing. You say, well, wait a minute. They, sure they knew what they were doing. They knew they were crucifying a Jew. Yeah, they did. But they didn't know whom it was they were crucifying. I mean, go back and look at it. The Romans... They thought they were just doing their job. Pilate, he thought he was just keeping the peace. The Jews, they thought they were doing God a favor. And either they didn't know or they didn't believe that they really were crucifying the Son of God. They didn't know that. Well, let me tell you something. You say, but you don't know how much they hurt me. No, I don't. They don't know how much they hurt you. They don't get it. I don't get it. But God knows it and God gets it. God knows how much they hurt you. 
God knows how much you've been hurt. And when people hurt you, the only two beings in the universe that know just how badly you've been hurt are you and God. Nobody else knows. No, I don't know how bad you've been hurt. Let me tell you something. The best friend you've got doesn't know how badly you've been hurt. Your spouse doesn't know how badly you've been hurt. The only two people that know how badly you've been hurt are you and God. But here's the point. What Jesus did for people who hurt him, what Jesus did for people who hurt him, he wants us to do for people who hurt us. What he did for them, he wants us to do for people who hurt us. And see, we can die forgiven of our sins against God, and we should die forgiving others for their sins against us. See, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive, not only that they might be forgiven, but that we might be forgiven and we might be forgiving. Listen, God forgives us because Jesus died for us. We know that. God forgives us because Jesus died for us. Now God expects us to forgive others because Jesus lives in us. So put it this way. If you're going to live like Jesus, you have to forgive like Jesus. Did you hear me? If you're going to live like Jesus, you have to forgive like Jesus. Those three words, Father, forgive them, they mean two things for you and me. Number one, it means we can die with a clean slate toward God, and it means we should die with a clean slate toward others. In other words, if you are a truly forgiven follower of Jesus, you will be a totally forgiving follower of Jesus. I want to tell you a story. This is probably one of the top, I don't know, maybe one of the top three or four stories I've ever heard in my life. One of my dearest friends, he's in heaven now. One of my dearest friends was, was a man named Joe Reynolds. Joe was a prominent attorney in Houston, Texas. He, in fact, matter of fact, to this day, Joe Reynolds try, has tried more cases in the state of Texas than any attorney in the history of Texas. Everybody knew about Joe Reynolds. When I was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Joe was one of my parliamentarians. He was a, just a sweet, kind, gentle man, but one of the most brilliant men that I ever met. Well, one time before one of our conventions, I was having lunch with, uh, with all the people putting the convention together, and I was sitting next to Joe, and Joe told me this story. He said, Jay, he said uh, James, I want to tell you a story I've never told you. And he, he said, uh, I just want to tell you how good God is. I said, sure. I never dreamed what the story I'd hear would be one of the greatest I've ever heard. He told me the story of how one time he co-signed a note with a man on a piece of property for a million dollars. It was a good friend of his. It was a man that he totally trusted. He said, well, one day he got a call from the bank, and the banker said, uh, are you Joe Reynolds? He said, well, yes. He said, are you partners with this man, and have you co-signed a note with him? And he said, well, yes, I have. He said, well, Mr. Reynolds, he said, your, your partner has defaulted on the loan, and you owe the bank $1 million, and we want our money in two days, or we're going to foreclose on the property. We're going to sue you for damages. Well, Joe said I, he was flabbergasted. Now, that's not the worst part of the story. You ready for this? He co-signed a note and hadn't told his wife. Now, if I'd done that to Teresa, that's why I keep two cyanide pills in the top drawer of my cabinet. So he tells the banker, well, there's no way I can come up with that money. Well, the banker wasn't moving. He said, you got two days, or we're going to foreclose on that property, and we're going to sue you for damages. So Joe has to go home, sit down, and tell his wife 
what had happened. Of course, she's panic-stricken. She said, well, Joe, what are we going to do? He said, we don't have a choice. We have to sell our home. Now, at that time, they lived in this beautiful home with 11 acres of prime property in Midtown Houston. They worked all of their lives to save up and buy that dream home, and now they're, they're going to lose it. Well, Joe said it wasn't two hours after he told his wife the bad news. He said he was sitting in his chair. He was so discouraged, and he said, God, what am I going to do? I, I, I know I did something I shouldn't have done. I know I should have told my wife. My heart's been writing this. God, please help me what I'm going to do. He said he no sooner, Joe said, James, I no sooner prayed that prayer my phone rang. I picked it up, and he said, uh, it was a real estate agent I never met in my life. And he said, the, the lady said, uh, sir, are you, are you Joe Reynolds? He said, well, yes. He said, well, Mr. Reynolds, I have a client who'd like to buy two acres of your property. And he said, well, lady, I, I'm not interested in selling just two acres. I need to sell my whole place, so, you know, thanks, but no thanks. He said, well, Mr. Reynolds, before you say no, would you just at least let me come to your house and would you just let me make a proposal? He said, lady, I'm telling you, it'd be a complete waste of time that you don't like, you know, someone who would like to buy the entire property, you know, let me know. <coughs> she said, Mr. Reynolds, look, I, I'm not that far from your house. Just let me run this proposal by you. It won't take two minutes to look at it and I'll be gone. And Joe said, well, I'm telling you it's a waste of time, but if you're already out here, sure, come on out. So the lady drove out to his home and sat down and she said, uh, Mr. Reynolds, my client would like to buy two acres, which is just on the fringe of your property. Well, Joe said, that just kind of rolled his eyes, and he said, well, ma'am, I'm telling you, I, I need to sell my entire place. She said, well, he doesn't want the entire place. He just wants two acres of your property. And Joe just kind of out, you know, just kind of said, well, what's he offer? She said, a million dollars. He said, What? She said, is that enough? <laughs> Joe said, James, I can hardly believe it. In the span of two hours, he said, God had answered my prayer to provide a way for me to, to pay this off that I had never dreamed imaginable. Well, I did what you did. I said, wow, Joe. I popped him on the shoulder. I said, man, what a great story. He said, oh, that's not the end of the story. So Joe calls his banker the next day. He said, uh, hey, I'll have your money in the office tomorrow. And the banker started laughing. He said, I knew it. I just knew it. Joe said, you knew what? And the banker said, well, when I met with our board yesterday about your situation, one of the men on that board said, I know who this Joe Reynolds is. He's the most well-known well-known attorneys in the state of Texas. He said, let me tell you something. He's not only not going to pay us, he's going to take us to court and sue us. The banker said, well, I don't know Joe Reynolds personally either, but he said, I'll tell you what, I've heard about him. I've heard he's a very fine Christian man, and I've heard he's a man of his word, and I believe he will pay us. Well, the board looked at, looked at him with the guy, and he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, uh, I, I just don't think you're right. And he said, well, I believe I am. And so the board started talking about it, and, and, and so the banker says to Joe, he said, Joe, let me tell you what happened. The board said if I was right and you agreed to pay, that I could negotiate with you any sum that I wanted to. And he said, Joe, the board agreed yesterday to cut your debt to $500,000. So in other words, not only did Joe get to pay off the debt, Joe got $500,000 to the good and wound up keeping his home. I said, Joe, what a great story. So that's not the end of the story. He had never heard from this man again that he thought was his friend for seven years. Never heard a word from this guy. And he runs into him. 
And his buddy claimed to be a Christian. Well, when this guy, walked, when Joe runs into this guy, guess what? The guy starts talking to Joe like nothing had happened, like they were just, you know, old buddies. So Joe looked at him and he said, uh, by the way, he said, uh, I just read in the paper the other day that you just cut a deal that made you over $5 million. And he said, well, yes, I did. And Joe said, well, when are you going to pay me the $500,000 you owe me? And the man looked at Joe and he said, Joe, I'm not going to pay you. He said, furthermore, Joe, the statute of limitations has run out and there's not one thing you can do about it. Joe said, James, I looked at him. I was, Joe's a big man. Joe's about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, He's a big guy. The guy was kind of small. He said, James, I walked right over to him and I got right in his face. And I thought, that, I said, Joe, you wanted to make him wet his pants. He said, nope, that's not what I did, brother. He said, I got right in his face. He said, I got nose to nose to him. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? There's one thing I can do about it. And he said, the man was shaking with fear. And he said, well, what's that? He said, I can forgive you. And I do forgive you. You have to live with what you did. I don't. And then he looked at him and he said, God has taken care of me and God will take care of you. Now, what did Joe do? He stayed focused on God. He stayed full of forgiveness. And he stayed free of bitterness. Now, in your worship guide, I want you to pull out this card. Everybody pull this card out. You'll notice it's got our scripture on it, right? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, let me tell you what I want you to do right now. Right now, I want you to do this. Pull out a pen or a pencil. Put one right, right in your chair right in front of you. Look in your purse or whatever, borrow some. Get a pen or a pencil. Here's what I want you to do. On the left side of that card, I want you to write down the names of anybody that you know, anybody that comes to your heart, and don't sit there and play pious today. Somebody that's hurt you and you've never gotten over it. They left you for a younger woman or another guy. They stole money from you. They cut you out of the will. They took your job. Doesn't matter what. Right now. I want you to do it right now. Don't just go ahead. I want you to write down the names of everybody you know deep down. You know what? I've not forgiven these people. I've been carrying this grudge. I've been carrying this bitterness. I've been carrying it all of my life. I, I want you to write down their names on the left-hand side. Okay? I haven't written the names down because I didn't want you to see the names were, but there are two names in my heart right now I wrote down this morning. a lady and a couple who did everything they could to ruin my reputation, everything they could. I've had to forgive them. I want you to write their names down. Then when you write the names down on the right side of the card, I want you to write down by their name one word. 
And that word is forgiven. Okay, so you write the name down. You write the word forgiven. Now, here's what we're going to do today. When this service is over, we've got paper shredders around the blade. I want you to take those cards, and I want you to drop those in the paper shredder. And when you drop those in the paper shredder, your burden's gone. Your bitterness is gone. But let me tell you something, folks. Life is too short to carry around the burden of bitterness. It's too heavy. Bitter, being bitter is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And there's some of you here today. You walk in here bitter, you leave bitter. You walk in here bitter, you leave bitter. Those days need to be over. Because there's only one way to die. Right with others and right with God. And you won't be right with God if you're right with others. But if you're right with God, you'll be right with others. You'll say, but you don't know. No, I don't. And only you and God does. I get it. But if the perfect Son of God could look at us when we were nailing Him to the cross and say, Father, forgive them, how much more should we who are imperfect and forgiven even if we didn't deserve it Forgive others who do not deserve it either. There's only one way to live and there's only one way to die. And that is with a clean slate toward God by being forgiven. And a clean slate toward others by being forgiven. Jesus died on a cross. And he came back from the dead. And he's alive right now. And he did it so we could die forgiven. And we could die forgiving. Because that's the only way to live. And it's the only way to die. Let's pray together.